vaccines are not a sexy business. So today, Moderna is a $122 billion company. They're sitting on piles of cash. The CEO and others are billionaires. But go back, roll it back to the beginning of 2020. People told Moderna not to go into vaccines. My guest today is Gregory Zuckerman. Greg is a special writer with the Wall Street Journal and three-time winner of the Gerald Loeb Award, the highest honor in business journalism. He's the author of The Greatest Trade Ever, the behind-the-scenes story of how John Paulson defied Wall Street and made financial history, The Frackers, the outrageous inside story of the new billionaire wildcatters, and The Man Who Solved the Market, how Jim Simmons launched a quant revolution, all which have gone on to become either Wall Street Journal and or New York Times bestsellers. His latest book, A Shot to Save the World, the inside story of the life or death race for COVID-19 vaccine, was recently released and is climbing the charts. I recently sat down with Greg and talked about how the COVID vaccines were discovered and what went right in the race to find a vaccine. All right, Greg, I'm really excited for you to be on the show, and I want to thank you. I've been a big fan for since your first book that I read, which was The Greatest Trade about John Paulson. And uh, I followed all, I read all your other books, The Frackers, which was a great book about wildcatting. And, uh, oh, by the way, I didn't read, I should take that back, I didn't read your latest book on Jim Simmons, which I got of the man who solved the riddle of the market, or what is, what is it? Man who solved the market. Uh-huh. Mala the market. Okay, yeah. But I did read your latest book, A Shot to Save the World, the inside story of life or death race for COVID-19 vaccine. Did I get that right? The inside story of the life or death race for a COVID-19 vaccine. Outstanding. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Um, it was uh, eye-opening for me, fascinating, these characters, these scientists that have effectively saved the world. So, um, And their story hadn't been told, so I wanted to do it. You know what I like about your writing? I, I like authors who write sentences where I don't have where I don't, don't have 15 commas in them, where you have to keep remembering things. I like short, punchy, uh, 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 really just short, punchy text where it keeps moving along. And one story doesn't get too boring. And I saw in your book, I, I guarantee you, I know, I'm sure you did this on purpose. Once a story developed one character, because you have a lot of characters in the story. I wish I had the Kindle version uh, at the time because I could just look at X-ray and see all the characters. But there were a lot of people involved and when the story got a little, uh, you dove really knee deep into it, we moved to another one. So you really kept the reader moving, but that's what you do, man. That's why your books are bestsellers. I have a, um, an approach, uh, even a thesis, that uh, a spoonful of uh, sugar helps the medicine go down, meaning that I tackle kind of complex, challenging topics. Uh, my first book, as you mentioned, uh, The Greatest Trade Ever, is about mortgages and credit default swaps and CDOs. Uh, my next one, the frackers, was about um, fracking and um, this revolution in this na- in this country. The last one was about algorithms and uh, AI and machine learning. And this current one is about um, messenger RNA and, and uh, different approaches to to vaccines. So what I try to do is uh, build those stories around what I find interesting or even fascinating characters, because I think we can all relate to them and learn from them. And I'm somewhat selfish in that regard. I like to learn from these characters myself. They're all so interesting and they um, accomplish things that have changed the world. So I try to tell it through the eyes of these characters. 
So, you know, uh, your, your first book uh, on uh, John Paulson, I, th- I love that book. I guess because I'm in the financial industry. So to me, CDOs, you didn't have to explain much. I, I think I read that in one sitting. It was so fascinating because we I lived it watching it play out. And uh, it was really, really great stuff. How do you pick, this is your first book that's about science, really, right? I, I, yeah, the other one was about oil. Frack is killed, you talk about how it upended the oil market. Uh, uh, the the um, Jim, Jim Simmons is about a brilliant guy who created a team that 66% annualized returns, which you can't even put your, wrap your head around. And this book is science. Yeah, that's a good point. So, um my new book, um, A Shot to Save the World, is a little bit outside my usual kind of financial and business and entrepreneurs. But there's a common theme in all my stories, and that's about unlikely individuals, entrepreneurs, um, others, scientists who accomplish something big that the experts tell them they can't do. And I'm really partial to that theme. Um, you almost root for some of these characters because they're told by society they can't pull it off. So when it comes to mRNA, this um, messenger RNA, this approach that has led to the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, it's led to the Moderna vaccine, it's really saved millions of lives. For years, there were scientists being told, don't waste your time. And that's kind of a theme that I'm partial to and I'm drawn to in all my writing. So with, with John Paulson in my first book, like you said, there were people saying, well, I'm worried about housing. I'm worried about the mortgage market. I'm worried about a collapse. And they were told by the experts, don't worry. Um, and with fracking, um, people were told, give up on America. Don't think about drilling in Texas, in Oklahoma, in North Dakota, et cetera. And these um, very stubborn, um, interesting personalities ignore the experts. And that I'm really just really drawn to that theme. And again, with, with the shot, a shot of Save the World, my new book, it's about scientists who ignored conventional wisdom. Right. So there is a common thread there, yeah. there, even though science is a little different from me. Yeah, well, there, there must have been a big learning curve because you, 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 you had to learn a lot about uh, vaccines, which, oh, you know what, let's get right into it, man. I, I don't want to talk about you anymore. I want to talk about your book. So, sure. uh, you know, what I, I learned so many things, and I want to start off with this. Vaccines, we take them for granted. And I'm not talking about COVID, for example, put that all aside. But measles, mumps, uh, me, uh, chicken pox, smallpox, all of those vaccines. The, this is literally science fiction. And when it comes down to it, these things take years to develop. So what I want you to do is I want you to walk us back. Tell, tell us in your research, something like the mumps or the average vaccine, how long does that take to develop? Uh, what is a vaccine? What is it trying to do? And how this COVID vaccine just basically is an innovative disruptor? Sure. And it's a really good point. Um, usually, historically, vaccines take years to produce. Um, the fastest vaccine produced until this past year, until COVID-19, was four years. And historically, on average, it's about 10 years. And um, one more reason to kind of appreciate what's been accomplished over the past year. And it's also, frankly, one reason why people are nervous about these uh, current vaccines. Well, Greg, geez, historically, if it takes uh, 10 years on average and four years is the fastest, why should I trust these new that have been produced so quickly. And what I try to accomplish uh, in my book by telling the story is to show that, well, actually, 
took decades of really hard, persistent work by resilient scientists to accomplish what we did over the past year. And to your question, um, vaccines in general try to teach the immune system um, to ward off some pathogen, some illness, some disease that it might uh, experience, might encounter in the future. And historically, how we did it was with um, injecting a piece of a virus. Um, polio, that's what we do, um, a small piece, um, or we attenuate it, we weaken it, we either kill it or we weaken it. And Okay, hang, hang, hang on a second, Rick, hang on. So what we do is we take a virus, we weaken it, soften it, you know, just punch the crap out of it until it's not potent, inject it into a human being, our natural defenses, our body's defenses kick in and really kickstarts this, fights it. So when the actual virus does come, it has its troops out there and it knows how to defend. Is that more or less, in layman's terms, what a, what a vaccine is? Yes, we're teaching the immune system, which you can think of as part of, sort of a series of different defenders that uh, we have inside us. God given, it's a remarkable human body. The more I, I do research on this, it's just, just remarkable what the human body can do. And you know, if you think about things like cancer, you know, we we, we focus on all the um, the sad experiences. My late father passed away of cancer, but um, for every one of those, there are many more where the body is fought off, and um, it's the immune system, which is a remarkable um, um, creation, um, however one defines it. And yes, yeah, so the immune system needs to be taught, and that's what we do by historically, um, either by a piece of a protein um, or by a little killed or, or a weakened version of an existing illness, virus, uh, pathogen, disease. We, we, we send it in through a, a vaccine, we give it an injection, and we basically kind of educate the immune system. Well, okay, um, here's sort of a dry run here. You've experienced this um, disease through the vaccine. Um, it's, it's, it's only a dry run, it's not the real thing. Um, but by doing that, we have taught the immune system to be on guard for the real thing if it ever is experienced in the future. It may not be experienced, but if the body experiences in the future, the immune system says, aha, I remember we were taught. I know I, I look out for a little piece of that virus. And um, with, with this virus, with the COVID-19, the piece that we're, we're injecting or we're teaching the body to inject, to, to, to build, to create through mRNA, we can get into that, um, is the spike protein. We've all heard about the spike protein. Okay, hang on, it's, hang on, hang on one second to that, one second. Going okay, path, yeah. okay. Right. Yeah, you, I didn't graduate too high in my class in high school, so you got to go yeah. slow for me. All right, so for years, vaccines have taken, as you said, the quickest one I think was mumps, four years or so, right? So the exactly. average vaccine is 10 years. Yeah. Now, uh, Growing up, my parents' time and my great-grandparents' time and yours as well, polio was a big polio. killer. Smallpox yeah. was killing people. Uh, it, you know, we, we live in a time which is just miraculous, where the cemeteries are not filled with little children. And thank God for that. And thank God for scientists who figured this out and, and went ahead and, uh, and persevered in the face of failure after failure after failure. Okay. So now we're faced with a new challenge. And that challenge is COVID-19, which just pops on the scene. And in, in you, well, your book, it's really exciting. I shouldn't say, I don't know if exciting is the right word, but you build up a, uh, uh, it's kind of suspenseful. You know, the, the guy from Moderna goes, looks at his, looks at the, his, his ancient iPad and he says, oh my gosh, there's problems in Wuhan. And, and yeah. you see them, 
you because you know that's something that we all could relate to. I remember you know hearing about this, and uh, you know I went on a plane. I just want to tell you this quick. I went on a plane in January time, and there were a few people January twenty twenty, and there were a few people wearing masks and mm-hmm. wiping down their seat. And I remember texting my friend. I say, did I miss the memo? You know, yeah. like what the heck's going on here? She says, oh, yeah. oh a bunch of crazies. Uh, yeah. What's up? Yeah, there's something in China. Don't even sweat it. All right. And that was it. And, uh, you know, you look around and literally in a matter of just a few weeks, it went from virtually something in China to we're shutting down the economy. We're staying at home. What the heck's going on? So at that point, we have no defense against this COVID-19, correct? Okay. Yes. So now I'm in New York and I remember at the time they are bodies being piled up in Queens. They couldn't fit them in the morgue at Queens Hospital. I forgot the, uh, the Jamaica Hospital, I think it was. And it was scary. My mother had a friend who called up on Monday. He was concerned about his wife who was sick. Two days later, he died of COVID. My attorney, who my first attorney ever was in the hospital for something. This is last week, February, no, early March. He dies of COVID. It's like, what's going on in one or two days? At that time, we don't even know what's going on here. And you're telling me, well, your book really talks all about it. At the time, there is a group of scientists who are are spot on because they've seen this game before and they have years of experience in dealing with viruses. Take, me, take us from there. Sure. So there are this group of uh, scientists, researchers, uh, some of them working for the government, but more of them working for private industry. And they have been doing research on various approaches, including messenger RNA. And the idea with messenger RNA, messenger RNA is a molecule and we all have um, them in our body. And um, the idea being, it, it brings a message, it's a mess, called messenger RNA for a reason, it brings a message, instructions to the body cell, telling the body cells to do something, um, create proteins and such, which keep us alive. And the idea was these scientists have been working on ways to say that they say to themselves, well, hold on a second. If these, our body relies on these messenger RNA molecules, mRNA molecules to provide instructions to our cells, what if we created messenger RNA molecules in the lab, put them in a vaccine, injected them into the body through various means, and you, you incorporate it, you enclose them in these things called lipid particles, nanoparticles, but not really important, and injected them into the body. And basically, we have the body, we make the body into its own drug um, manufacturing facility. In other words, we create ourselves, our body, we rely on our immune system, which is just phenomenal, remarkable. Um, creation, and we have the, the, the immune, our body's immune system create whatever it is, the, the protein, whatever it is to, to, do, to ward off disease. So, 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 let me stop. so instead of bringing an outside agent, uh, that, that piece of virus, and telling the right. body, I want you to kickstart from here, what we're doing right. is we're really, I shouldn't say tricking, but having our own body. Teaching teaching our own body to fight this without an outside agent coming in by rewriting the script. Is that more or less it? Yeah, I mean, it's an outside agent in that messenger RNA is created um, in the lab, and it's um, something that we uh, inject in ourselves, but it's not as dangerous as injecting a piece of the actual virus. So I read a lot of my book about the search for an HIV vaccine. Yeah. It's still ongoing, and yeah. 
for obvious reasons, it was too dangerous to inject piece of HIV into the body. Um, and there are other uh, pathogens also we're just a little nervous about. We could have done that with COVID-19 too, but we didn't need to because there was this research being done below the radar screen, away from the limelight by companies like Moderna, which no one had ever heard of, or a few people had heard of going into 2020. And those that had heard of Moderna were skeptical about the company. As I write in my book, the leader of the company, a fascinating guy, Stefan Bensel, a Frenchman, was a businessman. He wasn't a scientist. People thought he was overdoing it. He was exaggerating. Some people compared him to Elizabeth Holmes, um, who's now yeah, on trial yeah. for fraud. And people didn't believe. He was saying, hey, we are making progress working on these messenger RNA molecules in the lab, in our lab in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And people scoffed. People made fun. People mocked. And that um, only, and only scoffed, but his investors told him, don't even go into this because it's not going to be productive. You're going to be pissing money down a hole. Right. So, and, and others as well. I read about this company, Biontech, in Germany. They were making progress below the radar screen, too. And by the, by the beginning of 2020, people were skeptical about both these companies, and yet they stepped up. So getting back to your point, there was all this research being done on this new approach using mRNA molecules to creating vaccines, but nothing had been proven. People were skeptical. There were all kinds of doubts and Yet they pulled it off. So while you and I in January 2020 were looking at this virus, and I too, I remember going through a, an airport in London thinking about whether to put a mask on. I was with my two sons, and we were coming from Israel, and they wore masks because they were a little worried, more nervous. You know, in some ways, the next generation sometimes could be a little more uh, hesitant than this current one. And I looked around, and people people were giving me odd looks, and I was a little embarrassed. I took my mask off, and I remember back then. Fauci and other people were saying, don't, don't wear, wear masks. It, right. That was the con conventional wisdom at the time. Right, and they said uh, it was worse. It was, they said the, wearing the mask was worse. Yes, yes, it's exactly. I remember telling my boys that, you know, they say that you're tugging on it, you're pulling on the mask, and it's going to make it worse, et cetera. So, you know, that's what science is. You, you, you learn along the way. That's what scientists do, scientific process. So while we were all skeptical and, more, and, and, and you know, there were so many warnings over the years. Oh, yeah, right, there's going to be a new illness, a new pathogen, and new disease in China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to affect me. These guys in Boston, in Germany, in places around the world that I write about in, in, in Oxford University were convinced that a pandemic was on the way. And they were convinced that they had an approach to save the day. And what I find really fascinating is that it shouldn't have been these characters. It shouldn't have been this company, Biontech and Moderna and Oxford University and this, this scientist named Dan Baruch in, in Boston, the old people that I write about in my book, it should have been Merck, it should have been GSK, it should have been Sanofi. They are the vaccine giants. They create all, you know, Merck creates this MMR, the one that we give all our kids, the measles, mumps, rubella. And yet they, they, they didn't, they let us down those companies. And it had to be these unlikely characters that, that oh, I wait, write wait, about. Wait, wait, one second. Why did, because you wrote, I, I, I learned so much about Merck and that famous, uh, their famous immunologist, uh, Hilleman, I believe his name is. With John, was it John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, John yeah, Hillman. Yeah. This guy was the god of vaccines. He came out with, I don't know, tell me what, what they were. This guy. MMR. He created more vaccines than anybody. And he wasn't somebody who got so much publicity, but right. in a vaccine world, he's a god. Yeah. They, they, they should make a statue out of this for this guy. This guy yeah, is just yeah. absolutely amazing. You never hear about him, but. Also, the fascinating, cantankerous difficult individuals you write read in the in the book he's you know he's like a a hard person to deal with he kind of sits you across the room and says what, what what's your religion and you don't know what to answer and kind of stuff like that and he's testing you testing you all the time anyway i'm sorry 
No, 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 that's, that's great. You just add color to that. And you would think that it would be the mercs of this world that yeah. have the R&D, that have not only the R&D, but the culture yeah. of, of, of solving these big problems. And it was a bunch of rascals. It was almost like uh, in your book, um, uh, the, um, the, the Wildcatters with fracking, who really, uh, yeah. you know, go ahead and yeah, turn yeah. everything on its ear. Yeah. It almost had to be those kinds of characters, I've realized. See, I'm not um, from that world. So a lot of it is just me learning. And sometimes it's better to not be from the world of science. And one thing I've appreciated is that, um, or I learned, is that vaccines are not a sexy business. So today, Moderna is a $122 billion company. They're sitting on piles of cash. The CEO and others are billionaires. But go back, roll it back to the beginning of 2020. People told Moderna not to go into vaccines because you don't make much money. If you think about it, like a statin um, or another kind of drug, you have to give frequently over and over again. It's a regular, on a regular basis. If you're a producer, you're a drug company, you make tons of money that way. If you're a vaccine company, you give it out maybe once a year, like a flu vaccine or something, maybe even more infrequently. I and mean, how much can you really charge? You get pressure from third world kind of countries. Oh, you should be charging much less. No one really wants to go into vaccines if you can avoid it. And for years, as you read in, in my book, Moderna didn't want to be in vaccines. Originally, they were called Moderna Therapeutics. Therapeutics is not vaccines. They were trying to get into drugs because that's where the money is. But they struck out in therapeutics and in drugs. And they had to resort to vaccines. That's the only place they were making any progress. So um, companies like Merck, didn't, I think they kind of slow, slow-footed it. They weren't so into coming up with a vaccine for COVID-19. Yeah, they'd get some fanfare and some some respect from others, but they make they make so much money in cancer and other kinds of areas. It had to be the Biontechs and the Modernas and these kind of companies and Novavax that I write about in my book because they were overlooked and weren't making much money and didn't have any prospects elsewhere. So we were saved by really unlikely yeah. characters and scientists and companies. And you know they were going door to door to raise money for the labs and everything. They had no money to do it. You know when I was reading it, I'm not naive. I'm from New York, so you could you take that for what it is. I, I don't get fooled easily, but it, it wasn't a business proposition for these three companies that you follow. It becomes a religion. It becomes a, a cause. It becomes a mission, because uh, to look stupid time and again and again. Yeah. And yeah. to be told, it, it seems these guys were really on a mission to save humanity. Am I wrong with that or not? Such, yeah, I have such respect for scientists in the lab working for some of these companies. And I've gained a lot of respect. We, I think, on the outside, I don't speak personally, we always are a little bit skeptical. I've always been a little skeptical of big pharma, mm -hmm. drug companies. They're out to make a lot of money. And I don't suggest, I don't want to suggest they're not. That is part of the motivation. But there are these um, researchers within the companies. There's a company, Novavax, I write about, which I think is um, they've produced a COVID-19 vaccine. hasn't been approved yet, but it looks like it's good, it could be better than any other. And for years, we're talking years and years, over a decade, they made slow progress. They made rants of frustrations. They had disappointments. And yet these sort of average researchers could have gone elsewhere. They were um, well-respected and had a lot of talent. They could have gone to the mercs of the world. And yet they kept working at it because like you said um they become a little obsessive and they become convinced that they can help and they can save lives and yes again I, I, there's a lot of other there are other motivations too um i'm a big capitalist and i think to be able to make a lot of money is part of the incentive as is becoming famous and and 
getting the respect of your peers, but um, saving lives is a huge part of the calculus for, for these researchers. And I've come to really respect that motivation uh, in, in, among that drives most of them, if not every one of them. You know, back, I think it was in uh, March, when did, when did President Trump have all of them over to the White House? Yeah, it was March of 2005. March, I remember, okay. So every night, if you recall, uh, at around six o'clock, President Trump gave an update of what was going on, and it was broadcast on on all, on all the major uh, media outlets. Uh, and every it was really depressing. You know, you were seeing people die around you or get really sick. At the time, I, I didn't. I, I one or two died really quickly, but people were getting sick. Yeah, and they didn't know what to do with them. Putting a friend of mine, thirteen weeks, fifty year old guy. Uh, was on a ventilator. They moved to Cleveland, and he died, and he left yeah. five kids. It's, it was just tragic. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, now that we have a vaccine and people have stopped dying at such a quick rate, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like if they go off the roller coaster. That wasn't so bad. Well, it was bad, <laughs> right? It was really bad. Yeah. We didn't know when we yeah. were going to go out again, and it was, forget about where, the, you know, the pendulum swung with the, let's put all that aside. People were dying. Hospitals were filled to the brim. They couldn't accept people. And we, there was no daylight. There was no daylight. So now, on March something about, they mentioned that the president was having all the heads of the pharmaceutical companies. And knowing Trump from New York and knowing people who knew him very well, I felt good after that, you know, hearing that meeting. I really did. Because if anyone could corral these people and motivate them and move them and talk plain to them and say, get off your ass and get something done, it was him. And you describe that meeting in the book where... They, it was originally going to be in the Oval Office, I think, but they had to yeah. move to a conference room because there were so many of them. It was all crammed. Walk yeah. us through that because I, I, at that point to me, it just resonates because that was the turning point. I think that's when we were marshalling all our forces together where you had government and the private sector coming together and said, we're going to beat this. It's funny you say that as a turning point, Charles, because that meeting was a turning point for Pfizer. So Pfizer participated in that meeting. And yes, as you say, um, Basically, um, President Trump called a meeting of the top drug executives from the country. And um, there were maybe one or two from each of these different companies. And Pfizer said, I think, one or two people. And they all marched in there, went through security, got to the Oval Office area. Everyone realized there were too many of them. And they used another conference room, which was still pretty cramped. If you look at the videos, you, you can see it. And that was sort of staying room only in, in the back. And President Trump went around the room asking, where are you? Um, how long do you think it'll take? And he kind of encouraged people to go faster rather than slower. And um, what was interesting is that, and I'll write about it in, in the book, uh, one of the top guys at Pfizer, he participated in the meeting and he gave the update and they were working on both drugs and they were looking into vaccines at that time. But he came away from the meeting himself saying, wait, hold on a second here. This is serious stuff, and this is gonna. This is changing the world. And it's funny you could be so close to it. And a company like Pfizer is working on so many different things at one time, and they weren't really focused on COVID nineteen until that meeting. And I write about how the executive flying back, and he says, "Wow, um, we need to focus. We need to get going. We need to really um, accelerate our research." And then they made this alliance with this company, Biontech in Germany, which wasn't at the meeting. And the rest is history. They created right. this remarkable right. um, vaccine. So um, I think President Trump and his administration should get a lot of credit. They um, deserve a lot of criticism for 
um, not being sufficiently focused on the on the on COVID-19 and the virus before um, the vaccines were developed, and the rollout was disappointing in a lot of ways. But Operation Warp Speed is historically really important and remarkable, and um, they played. If you talk to Moderna, you talk to these other companies, Operation Warp Speed played a huge role in getting this done. It's, these vaccines done as remarkably fast as they are. And you got to take a step back. And I think you alluded to this earlier. These vaccines are among maybe the most important accomplishment of modern science. Yeah. And I think yeah. we're all as a nation, Republicans, Democrats, everybody should be embracing them and be proud of, of the American and other kinds of scientists that are responsible for this accomplishment that have saved so many lives so quickly. And frankly, to think what they may, may accomplish next, I can't, I can't wait to see. So um, my story, I tried it to be a, um, a positive story, believe it or not, you know, it's about this COVID-19 and millions have died and it's a, it's a sad story in so many ways, but um, we, I, I believe there's so many stories written about what went wrong. Mine is about what went right. And I really have come to appreciate um, what, what, what they've accomplished. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I want to get back to that conference room. As they're going around the room, I think it was Moderna who said that we could get it done in less than a year. Yeah. And at the time, as you write, the experts were saying 18 months, two to four years minimum. Moderna says one year and Fauci steps in in order to temper the expectations and says. Yes. Yeah. He said, well, I don't think I'm not sure. I don't think so. Let's slow down. Let's not get overexcited. And I get it. You don't want to get people over uh, enthusiastic and raise expectations. But as you say, um, both President Trump, but also people like Stefan Bansell and Moderna um, had high expectations. And there's something to be said for sort of raising the bar and shooting, having a goal. And I have to tell you, these scientists and the executives at Pfizer, Moderna, and these other companies, they, they work so hard. You know, they, they, they've gotten unbelievably wealthy, uh, many of them, and the stocks have shot up. But we also have to give them credit and appreciate They've been going 24, literally 24-7. They've been working. You know, you know, put, 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 put all the work on the side for a second. Just, I, I'm not minimizing that at all. But sure. as viable businesses to pay the rent, they were broke. They had no money. They were going to investors and investors were turning them down. They have here, they're working on something to save humans throughout the world, not tens of thousands, but millions. And they almost well I they were zealots they were saying no this is a mission and I look I was reading and you 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 really put it you put the reader in that seat of going door to door and trying to raise money and they really are right they're going hand, hand in uh, hat in hand to raise money to keep the labs open they know what it's going to cost to make these things they know what it is and they're getting turned down to every just to get up in the next morning and reach out and try to get more money I think the average human would have stopped I agree. And it's even more remarkable because Stefan Benzel, the CEO of Moderna, he made his reputation as a fundraiser. For years, he was able right. to put money from investors. And people were jealous, frankly, in the biotech world. Why is he able to raise so much money? He must be exaggerating. There's no way they can raise this much money. And he was he's a, 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 a um, salesman kind of guy, but he's also very persuasive and convincing. And yet, and yet, so his whole life, he's able to raise money. And yet, when the chips were down, when they needed money for this vaccine to develop the vaccine, we're talking the spring of 2020, he could not raise money from investors, from uh, public bodies, from foundations, endowments, charities, 
He went, as you say, kind of door to door, and he went back to people that rejected him. They 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 right. shoved, they, they they closed the door in his face. And, and they kept telling him, stop like, stop going this path. Get back to your business. This is not going to yeah. make you money. Yeah, yeah. His own investors didn't want him to pursue this, <laughs> and he was risking his reputation and his company's reputation. Uh, and yet they persisted. So I give them all kinds of respect. And frankly, I don't think enough has been appreciated that. Wall Street stepped up to save the day. So Operation Warp Speed was really important. The money from all kinds of endowments and charities, et cetera. But that money came a little bit later. It was a key equity deal, stock deal, done in, I believe it was May of 2020 by Morgan Stanley, where they gave, they were to check to Moderna for $1.2 billion that they were desperate for. They were running out of money. They had no money to produce these vaccines. They had already um, created the vaccine. It looked effective. Um, it looked like it was going to be sa- saving people, but they had no money to buy the vials, buy the containers, buy the, the syringes, all that kind of stuff, manufacture it properly. And it took a deal on Wall Street mm. by investors to, to give them that money. And then they, and then Moderna said uh, to their head of production, go, 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 spend this money and go produce it. And the rest is history. So a lot of really important um, um, roles were played by unsung, unappreciated characters, even people on Wall Street. Yeah, the terrible capitalist system, huh? Yeah, right. Right, that's safe. So you you write, you write that uh, the COVID-19 vaccines have helped prevent more than, th- these numbers are just staggering, uh, 279,000 deaths and averted over 1.25 million additional hospitalizations. And that yeah. number's probably an old number by now. You know, yeah, it's, it's a few a, months old, and that's not my data, that's according to a data produced by Yale University. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it's always, once again, you finish the roller coaster ride, you're serious, like, oh, it wasn't so bad. But, folks, if you remember at the time, hospitals had no room. We had a ship docked in the, um, uh, I think it was the, um, it was in, in the Hudson. Was it the Hudson? I think it was the mm-hmm. Hudson. A aircraft carrier, the, a, 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 Nimitz, maybe? A, no, not the Nimitz. It was the, um, it was a, uh, what do you call it? A hospital ship. Because oh, yeah, we didn't yeah. have room, and the Javits Center was going to be used yeah, because Javits, we had yeah. we had no we didn't know what was going on. So now to think, oh, it was a farce, or it was our immune system, or herd immunity. Unfortunately, with all due respect to these people talking, they don't know the rest from their elbow when it comes to what was really happening. We like to look back in hindsight and say, oh, it wasn't so bad. This was terrible. Oh, Charles, you made the point earlier. It's a great one that. Even scientists, even the experts were saying, maybe we can come up with a vaccine, possibly not, maybe one in a few years, not clear we can get one. Hey, maybe it'll be 50 or 60% effective, like the flu vaccine. To, to have vaccines as effective, and they're not foolproof, and they're not um, perfect vaccines, but there's close to them as we could hope for. And we need to be grateful and, and, and appreciative. I, I, I agree. So, so why do you think, Greg, you're a smart guy, you research this, you see, you spoke to a lot of these people face to face in your interviews, right? You interviewed close to what, two, 300 people or so? 300 plus, yeah. 300 oh, yeah. plus, I, right. Yeah. Okay. Fine. You're a seasoned journalist. You're an investigative journalist. You look in people's eyes, you hear that they talk, you can pick up the crap from reality in a heartbeat. And, um, the way you write, and I, I don't know all of these interviews that you did, but the way you write. These people were driven. They were on a mission. It wasn't only the money, and money was secondary in a sense. They wanted to get this done. And here's my question. Knowing all this and knowing the science behind it, why now, in the last several months, 
uh, when the vaccine came out are people anti-vaxxers. So I have to do my own research or don't trust the government numbers or don't trust the pharmaceuticals. What the freak is going on here? So I'll give you two answers. Um, one is that sadly, everything in our society is politicized. And I, I tro- so I, I, for my earlier book, The Frackers, I drove the country in you know, places like Texas and Oklahoma, North Dakota, parts of Pennsylvania. And I realized how, um, I'm this East Coast guy, right? I live on the East Coast, New Jersey, my wife's in LA. We all have these images of others, people that um, are not like ourselves. And then when you get to meet them, when you get to meet other people, you realize how much in common we all have. And there are good people everywhere, both East Coast, Middle America, everywhere. And we're, we're all Americans. And um, we believe in similar things. But, you know, it, it, you may not uh, always realize it and think it and believe it, but we, we do. And and yet, and yet, for whatever reason, um, I think everything's politicized. So everything today is black or white. You either are pro-energy, so um, I hate fracking, or, um, you know, drill baby, drill kind of thing. There's nothing in the middle today. And you have to take sides for some reason. We, it's, it's, it's tribal. It's my side against your side, my team against your, your team. And I'm, I'm a Democrat, I hate Republicans, or, or vice versa. And, and, you, and everything that comes up, be it abortion, be it... Um, energy drilling, um, everything is, there's no nuance anymore. There's no um, taking a step back and, 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 and thinking, well, okay, um, these vaccines are not perfect, right? And originally they were 95% uh, effective. They're less so now. There are side effects. Um, there always are, are risks with anything. You know, I step out, I drive my car, there's a, there's a risk. I step out a nail, I get a tetanus shot. I don't, I don't look into see, you know, what the history of it is. I realize that it's probably not a perfect vaccine, but I, but I need it. Um, sadly, everything now is in our country and um you know um it's a sad uh, reflection of where we are as a people and we need to spend more time getting to know each other Um, i remember i went to a breakfast years ago and uh it was about politics and i think michael bloomberg was 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 talking and he said one of the issues is and i kind of find it fascinating one of the issues in washington today is one of the problems is transportation air um transportation specifically has improved such that congressmen, congressmen and women, they all go home on weekends to see their constituents on, on, on Friday. And it used to be that they all hung around Washington and got to know each other, Republicans and Democrats, they had drinks with each other, coffee, et cetera, meals. And they realized that the, the other side is not evil. Um, and we don't have those, those um, interactions like, like we used to. And I find it so sad. And again, I love traveling the country and going to little towns in Oklahoma. And, you know, I keep kosher and they were, appreciative of that and you know i was a little wary you know i'm sorry i can't really eat with you um i'll have like a salad or i'll have a, a soda but um, i can't um you know have have um a burger with you or steak and they 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 were fine with that i was a little nervous about that so there's just not enough of that interaction and um with the back with every subject vaccines or others um it's either pro or against i, I hate it i love it and um the other issue i was going to say is that um it's a do-it-yourself kind of world we're in where people are skeptical of authority figures, be it scientists, be it doctors, you're your own internist. He's treated you for years, and yet he suggests, you know, you should probably get a vaccine. Wow, what does he know? I'm going to go on YouTube and, and find my own expert. And um, listen, I'm not some big believer that it's a for the experts all the time, but there's a reason, you know, people spent years in medical school and, and perfecting their craft and um we should acknowledge that that effort that they put into it and that they're trying to to help they're not trying to to hurt so um 
I, I think we should be a little more modest maybe in, in our own um, uh, beliefs and our own understandings of the world and be, be um, deferred sometimes a little more uh, to these experts. You know, you bring up a really great point, and I've, saying, I've been saying this for, so, for last year or so. Anger drives out reason. When you get angry, you don't, it, it's not, re, you, you become uh, uh, closed off. You don't think clearly. And there's a whole bunch of biological events that happen in your mind, you oxygen and so on and so forth. But anytime, especially in investing, when I feel I'm getting emotional, I stop what I'm doing and I take a walk. Uh, a friend of mine told me a great thing years ago. I was on a, uh, a board of our school. I was the treasurer. And I was so upset with something that just happened with the administration. Something about scholarships. They wouldn't allow, whatever it was. And I called up the president, who's a good friend of mine, and I said, here's what I want to do. He goes, that's the wrong thing. Your first reaction is your wrong one because you're thinking out of anger and emotion. Go take a walk. Sleep on it. Next day, it made all the sense in the world. And I think that... With, the, with this vaccine, it's, we, we are, it's not only politicized, it's we become so angry we're not thinking, and we think life is a zero-sum game. If I'm right, you have to be wrong. There is no validity to what you have to say. If you're right, that means I'm 100% wrong, and that's where the, the finding comes. That's, that's one point that I think that our society's gotten to. It's just an observation. And the second thing is, you used to go into a room, and you definitely remember this uh, before iPhones, and you sat waiting, you struck up a conversation with the person sitting next to you. Mm -hmm. Today, everyone just buries their head into a phone. You went on an airplane, I do this all the time. I, I was always interested and in, in, I still am interested in people. I'd sit down, hi, and I'd introduce myself, where are you from? Today, when you're on a plane, they're just heads down. <laughs> you're sitting with someone six hours on a plane, literally four inches from you, you're sharing elbow space. We get to know nothing about them. <laughs> it's just absolutely staggering. Yeah. Um that I, I totally agree. That goes back to my point about just getting to know each other. And frankly, that's why I do what I do for a living. My, I'm privileged that I can get to know. I can talk to all kinds of people. That's what I do for a living. I ask questions of others and um, I get to hear different perspectives. That's sort of uh, the onus is on us as journalists. We don't always do a great job of it, but we need to do a better job of just getting to know all kinds of people out there and you get different perspectives and um you got to give people the, the benefit of the doubt. Um, it's it's something I work on myself um, and, and the emotions. And um, we, we all get into these um, habits of um, exaggerating and using hyperbole. So the people that are against vaccines, maybe they have a decent point. Maybe it's not for them. I, I, I don't know. I don't agree with them. But sometimes they'll, they'll use this um, language like it's like Nazi Germany. And, you know, those of us who've had family, um, who have had firsthand understandings of uh, the horrors of Nazi Germany. It's just outrageous. Um, but, but the, and I get why they're doing it. I don't think they're being anti-Semitic. I think they're trying to exaggerate. Everything's hyperbole. It can't just be bad. It's like Nazi Germany bad. And um, we need to tone it down um, on both sides and um, just get to know each other a little bit better and give each other benefit of the doubt. What, what, and you know, that's what makes what happened in the past year uh, the way, you know, after reading your book and just after living it, really, I have to say, I, I try to be as rational as possible throughout and kept looking that the economy is going to do well and uh, 
I was telling my subscribers at the time that we're going into SaaS companies, subscription as a, as a service business, where you don't need a retail location, that business will keep on, that regardless of, of the virus, businesses still need to be done. It's going to be done with commerce because, you know, there were winners and losers because of this. And we're going to come out okay. This economy uh, and, our, and our form of government and the, our, our system of taxation, our system of government is such that it will, we, out of all the countries, in the world, we're going to find the solution. And we did. And we did. That, that didn't happen by accident. It wasn't China or Germany or, or England which found the solution to this problem. It was us. And that is not an accident. That's everything about America that makes America great. And, uh, you know, going through this, you look and you say, looking back, is this was such a sea change in, in the way we fight back, the way we fight viruses and the way we really put a, a virtual stop, I know it's not 100%, to a pandemic that, you know, it's, it's, even though it's, if, if it's recent, we, many of us put it out of our minds, but how many people were dying a day? Two to 3,000 people a day or so? That was one 9-11, and we're both in the New York area. That's one 9-11 a day. Yeah. I want to go back to your earlier point. So um, there's, there's um, real good reason to think that um, had this not happened, had this, um, these vaccines not been developed, this could have gone on for years. Because the drugs are, are good, but they're not great. We haven't really come up with one that's um, as, as effective uh, as these kind of vaccines. So um, it's important to be appreciative, and it's also appreciative of America. So there's so much um, that, is that my, should I cut that I think you're beeping somewhere. I apologize for that. Um, there's so much to appreciate about this country that I don't think we're as conscious of. Um, there's a lot to be um, unhappy about and worried about. But as you had said earlier, when you talk to a Stefan Bensel, he's a guy from France originally. He's the CEO of Moderna. Got a thick accent. When you talk to the CEO of BioNTech, Uber Sahin, thick German accent, he's Turkish originally, they all say that these vaccines could not have been developed anywhere but America. And that's partly because of the capitalist system. They were able to raise the money. There were investors that were willing to, without any earnings, these companies invest in them, back them. And um, I've become much more, um, um, it's a good reminder for even people like me who work at the Wall Street Journal and believe in capitalism about the, the possibilities of capitalism. So while we are down and discouraged about a lot when it goes on in this country, we still have a pretty good system here. And it, like you had said, it suggests that really um, only in America could these vaccines have developed as quickly, effective vaccines, as quickly as they are. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, we're still living through, it's like, you know, you're living through the Renaissance. You don't wake up every morning and say, hey, I'm living through the Renaissance. We're living through such a monumental time where just a year ago, where things were so bleak that yeah. uh, a vaccine was created in record time, uh, given out to the American people. I think now at this point, and we're looking at November uh, 2021, where close to 70 plus percent of the population is vaccinated? Was that more or less? Uh, uh, not quite, I wish it was that high. What was but it? Over, yeah, 65%. 65, okay, still a far cry from where it was, you know, back uh, when it first started. Uh, you know, it was, it was 10%, 12%, whatever it might be. And 65 still <laughs> huge. You know, you, yeah. you, what they said, the best we're gonna probably do is 70, 75% because you'll have 25% of the population, I'm not vaccinated, you know, for whatever reasons, whatever it is. But, um, uh, I think this will go down in history as what happens when a capitalist system is the, the, um, the soil for uh, when innovation and entrepreneurship 
and a calamity all converge, a vaccine like we have now is what happens. And I'm just excited that we now went to the next level with, with a new way to vaccinate, with a new, a whole new paradigm shift of taking a small piece of this where I had Walter Isaacson on the show uh, a few months ago, and he wrote the book, and he said he was so, it was amazing, he wrote Codebreaker about Janet uh, Dwadna, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, who was one of the codebreakers in finding out this, uh, the way to do vaccines in this manner. And he spent so much time in the lab with them because it was during COVID. And he walked away. And here's a guy who wrote a book on Leonardo da Vinci who spent time at Steve Jobs' uh, house writing a book about him. Einstein, Franklin, Ben Franklin. And he couldn't, and I want to talk about his other books. He was just so, you, you don't trust because You don't realize what code breakers did with the DNA, the RNA. It's amazing. And I, I didn't, honestly, I didn't realize it till now uh, what, what a breakthrough that was. And I think the American yeah. people don't get that. Most people just don't get that because I think we're just, so many of us are just so uh, angry at, for or against vaccine and the mandates in politics that we don't see what a miracle this thing was. Yeah, but, but I do understand, uh, if you don't know the backstory, why you should be concerned. Well, all of a sudden you've got this vaccine and you're telling me to take it and you're saying it's effective, but tick-tock like that in a few months, you got it? I mean, come on. And that's why that's part of the reason I wrote this book to show that no, actually it was decades of work and it was sort of a baton race. Um, as you read uh, my book, A Shot uh, to Save the World, you see that there are early guys, early women as well, researchers who made some progress and then they stumbled and fell and had to kind of pass the baton to the next researcher. And they took it, took it up and ran and stumbled and made some progress. And I, I find it that persistence, that resilience, really, really impressive. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, we can all learn from it in, in some ways, or at least I can. Right. Right. No, no, outstanding. I, I think, Greg, I think, you know, I loved your other, your other two books. I didn't read Jim Simmons, but First and secondly, I, I got to have you on the show again because we got to speak about Jim Simmons and I want to speak about your other books. Uh, I, I love them. I really did. I thought that they were great, especially the ones in finance. It was just so exciting. Uh, but uh, yeah, great job. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, I, I, I could talk to you for hours on this and hopefully you come on the show again. But here's what I want to end with and I want to hear your thoughts on it. We now have the Delta variant, right? This virus is morphing into different variants, which viruses do. They were just an amazing piece of nature which is made to survive <laughs> you know it's made to get shot at and try to be killed and it just keeps surviving and its only purpose is to replicate get yeah. in a host and replicate that's its one main function um what do you see in terms of covid as we know it in the next several years is this going to be something like what smallpox was or or polio where it's going to be put or this is something that we're going to face over the next five, 10 or 20 years? So I believe that it'll be endemic, meaning that we're never gonna have a cure, it's never gonna go away. But I don't think people should be discouraged. I think we'll get a handle on it. Um, I think it'll be the kind of thing where like flu, we have a vaccine every year or so. Um, it's we're gonna be more effective than the flu vaccine. Um, you go in, maybe it's combined with the flu vaccine. They're working on uh, approaches where you can combine them all so it's not even an extra uh, visit to the doctor and there'll be um incidents that crop off especially because parts of the world we, it's important to remember that good part large chunks of the world have barely scratched the surface in terms of being vaccinated um one two percent of the populations in parts of asia and 
Africa. So there will be new variants. Uh, there'll be incidents in the United States too, pockets that crop up. But I think it'll be something that we handle and eventually it goes, it becomes part of the background. And yeah, you hear about someone who's got it, but they're okay with it. And they take, um, they, they, they maybe take a, a vaccine or they take a drug and they, we can handle it so much better. So it's something that we'll have to live with and deal with, but I think we can do so successfully and we can crawl out of this thing and not be beholden to and, and dependent on masks and, and lockdowns and, and, and things like that. So I do think things are going to get much better. Yeah. Human beings were amazing how we adapt. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I tend to agree. I'm looking at that optimistically. It's, it's, you know, a year ago, people were dying. Now people who get COVID, it's not a death sentence anymore, yeah. you know, and, and the severity is less. And, uh, uh, I had COVID back right as it started in March and I knew something was wrong and I didn't know what it was. I just felt really tired and weak and flu like, and my wife said, oh, you're probably working too hard or you're tired. And then I lost my taste and smell. Oh, about a month and a half. And I remember walking with my dog, picking up his poop. My goes, ooh, that's a bad one. And I'm like, I don't even smell it. It freaked me out. It really freaks you out when you smell. And you start smelling your underarm deodorant, and you can't smell. It's frustrating. And, uh, you know, I started to get some, whatever it is, not important. But um, uh, when I, the worst was when I took the shot, you know, the second, first shot. I was out for a full day, worse than the thing. But then again, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, the vaccine was doing what it's supposed to be doing. Supposed to be getting my body to do that. It's, I, I just don't get it. I, you know, look, I do get it. I shouldn't say I just don't get it. It's all the skepticism, and and you know, someone puts something out there and on Facebook or in Twitter that you know it's a, and you start to pick up all this fake news, and we don't know how to discern what's real and what's not. And I just hope that a lot of people get smarter quicker. Uh, and uh, you know, if you're not vaccinated, take the vaccine because. Uh, it can save your life. It's, it's that simple. Yes, and it wasn't created quickly. And it's by dedicated scientists who are not political in nature. I've talked to them, and they're hardworking and dedicated and care about the same things we, we all care about. Um, and there were mistakes made along the way, for sure, health yeah. officials, public officials. But um, they, if they, for the most part, um, have done a good job. And we can learn from these people, too, especially the scientists that I, I write about. Yeah, fantastic. Folks, the name of the book is A Shot to Save the World, the inside story of the life or death race for a COVID-19 vaccine. Gregory Zuckerman, all the power to you. Keep fighting the good fight. I, I'm looking forward to your next book. I'm, I'm sure just you just finished this. I'm not going to even ask you what your next book is. But do you have an idea? Don't tell me, but do you have an idea yet or not? I'm still recovering from this. Still morning. recovering, huh? I mean, uh, the science and the getting people to talk and getting people to open up. But um, yeah, I'm open to suggestions. People wow. should reach out. It's also with constructive criticism. You know, I, I, some of my best sources are people that read a book and they say, I liked it, Greg, but here's something that you should be thinking about. And I love that kind of stuff. So um, I'm open to that kind of stuff. But I'll, yeah, I'm always thinking of the, new, the next topic. Yeah, but at this time, you didn't have time to breathe because it, it was happening in such a compact yeah. span of time. And you had to I write know. this down and you didn't want to write something that was wrong. So you probably checked every fact 58 times and... And the story's developing. It's not like the you know financial crisis was over, Paulson made his money, or Jim Simmons had a big track record, or the frackers are producing. Yeah, the story's still playing out. Yeah, it was a difficult endeavor on my part. I kind of made a bet early on that these vaccines would probably work. So I got to know the people working on them, but it wasn't clear they would. It wasn't clear who would pull off the vaccines. Um, I had to shift kind of gears along along the way. Wow. And as you say, I'm not a scientist, so... Um, 
the, the advantages I can maybe present it to the, the populace because uh, I don't, I'm not from that world, so I don't use all the jargon and it's not as confusing as might have been. But the challenge is understanding the science. So right, yeah, I right. hired a, a local a PhD who was my tutor and helped me, and I found all kinds of scientists. They, they, they were uh, remarkably helpful and cooperative, and they were willing to read chapters and tell me where I got it wrong and where I misunderstand things and then work with me. And I'm so grateful uh, to those people for, for, for helping. Beautiful. Greg, uh, outstanding, man. All the power to you, and, and God bless. Yeah. Keep doing it, man. Thank you. Congratulations so much. on the podcast, and um, hopefully you go from strength to strength as well. Great. Thanks so much, Greg. Sure. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on The Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.